WPSL Port St. Lucie. And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. And, and welcome to all of you here listening to the show today. We really are grateful for that. Appreciate it very much. Hope that you can stay with us for the next hour. We're going to be on the air until 10 o'clock live here in Port St. Lucie. And maybe you're listening from somewhere else, but that's Eastern time. And you can certainly join the show the same way as everybody else by calling into the station. I'll give you the numbers in just a moment since it is a live call-in show and the other ways to get a hold of us. So if you want to write that down, give you a chance to grab something to write it down with. But we'll go back and, and introduce ourselves again in case you're a new listener. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ here in Port St. Lucie on Savona Boulevard. Gary Jones, how you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, Mike. Yeah, yeah, Gary, Better than in the past. Yeah, Gary's been under the weather a lot lately, so he's. I'm glad he's able to be here. And uh, we're the host of the show. He's the other elder in the church here. And we're grateful that you're listening and, and want to set forth the premise of the show which is to try to introduce the concept or the idea of just going back to the New Testament and being just a Christian according to the New Testament, not according to the traditions of men or the customs or things that have arisen over time or this particular belief or that particular belief to the isolation of others. So if you call in, this show is going to be about, since we're about being just a Christian, we're going to try to point you just to a Bible answer. We're not going to point you to the Apostles' Creed or what some council says or what our church body has decreed to be the truth. We're going to try to point you to the New Testament, give you some scriptures to look up, and you can then evaluate that and have a place to start your own study and understanding of the scriptures. By that, I don't mean that all of us are allowed to arrive at our own conclusions, and that's all just hunky-dory, as we used to say, with the Lord. It just gives us all a place to start. We also believe that the that the scriptures, the New Testament, were written to be understood, written by God to be understood by us, that when we read them, Paul says in Ephesians 3, 3, that we can come to the same understanding that he had when the scriptures were directly revealed to him as an apostle and the others. So we're not saying whatever you want to believe is fine. We're saying that you have the responsibility to access the scriptures and properly determine what they mean. And we're going to point you there rather than to some other source to find out what God's saying about different subjects or what he's saying about your life. So we're, we're open to talk about whatever spiritual subjects are on your mind, whether it's something in your own life, a personal difficulty or a problem or a question you've had growing up about religion or about spirituality or about life and death. We're also open to talk about uh, your, what the Bible says about different subjects. We, we talk a lot about current events here and things in the, and we have a chance today. We might do that because they do bear upon spirituality and we are not, not, uh, averse to talking about that and trying to give you a biblical perspective on the things that are going on in the world around us. So that's kind of where we are where, and we welcome your input into the show. You can primarily reach us by telephone, if you want to call in, 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number, and we promise when you call in, we're not going to harangue you or embarrass you. We'll give you the last word on whatever question or subject we're discussing. You feel free to call in, and we'll ha have a conversation. If you just want to ask a question, then that's fine. 772 340 1590. Now, the other ways to reach us, some people use text messages. We did, did get a text that we probably will use for part of the show today. The text numbers are two of them. One is mine and one is Gary Jones. My Mike's number, though, is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is my text number. Feel free to text that during the show, during the week, doesn't matter. And I'll try to respond as best I can to that. And we'll may, may use your material on the air. Gary's text number is 772, very similar, 772-260-6220, 772-260-6220. 
The only way we can figure out they got such close numbers, because we didn't plan it at all, I didn't even know that was his cell number for a long time, is because we both had Nextel phones way back. Uh, about, we got them about, about the, same. the same time, because and I got him through an engineering friend of mine, and Gary's an engineer. So, uh, you know, we're I guess we got in the same network or construction network, whichever it was. They might have had it under a big construction umbrella. Nextel did. Now, this is way back, you know, I mean, this was, and we've. This was what 25, 20, 30 20 years, years ago. ago you know. yeah. So anyway, that's a long time, and we didn't realize we had uh, close uh, close numbers. Now, you well, better pay of, attention. This the, is going to be on the quiz. Yeah. This kind of trivial, right. important information could be on the quiz. You one, know, one of the one of the context here is um, talking about God's word and the truth, and we talk about what we need to believe. And Jesus said in John seventeen and verse sixteen, He said, "Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth." God's word is truth. We don't right. get our own truth that's separate from God's truth. We don't get to define what truth is. Yeah. It's true. God defines what right. truth is. You don't have your truth, and I don't have my truth. That's the way it goes around today. What's true is true. Right. So we believe in that, and we're going to try to figure it out. Now, that doesn't mean that we all know the truth all at the same time or that, that we can't be wrong, and it doesn't mean that we don't keep learning the fact that that I believe something today to be true doesn't mean that that is the truth just because I believe it. The truth is out there, and, and I need to bring my thoughts into conformity with that. And that's why we study. That's why we're involved in this church in studying the scriptures together and learning what they are over time and modifying our ideas and opinions and growing in that. And so um, that's what it's about. The other thing I want to clear up again, mention again, at the beginning of the show. And by the way, feel free to call in. We'd be glad to talk to you today. It makes our job easier when you bring up what you want to talk about. But we are we are a a uh, an undenominational church. Now that's different than a non-denominational church. We don't have any kind of earthly headquarters. There's no church over us. There's no association or council of churches that is over us that we report to or gives us funds or anything like that. And the reason for that is we don't find any kind of pattern like that in the New Testament. Gary and I are elders over this local church. We're over elders over the flock that is, quote, as Peter says, 1 Peter 5, among us here together. And so that's the sphere of our power, as it were. We teach as broadly as we can, but as far as any kind of authority or uh, exercising anything as far as elders, that's the extent of it. There's no central organization because none of that's found in the Bible, and yet all these churches are all banded together in their denominations, and they all have their own fundraising arms, their own PR departments, their own councils that decide what they believe. Now, a an undenominational church is one that is un or not a denomination. A non-denominational church, which you read so much about today, is simply one how can I say this, that refuses to take a stand. That is pretty much generic. It's the generic church. In other words, they're not really hard on any one particular belief. Uh, and, of course, when you scratch below that surface, you'll find that most of them are evangelical or Calvinist in some fashion or Pentecostal. So they have creeds. They just don't make those creeds very important, and they don't make any noise about the creeds too much. But they all come, come and, and so non-denominational means that they can, you can believe pretty much anything, and that'd be okay with that particular church. That's not us. Well, my, my okay? we're, we're, well, we're undenominational, well, and we believe the Bible trying, teaches things. All they're really trying to do is separate themselves from a particular denomination that has a name and a reputation. Yeah, so it's generic, right. And so they are actually a denomination unto themselves, almost. Well, there's a there is a there is a denomination of undenominational churches, uh, and I ran into this many years ago. Even when I mentioned to a fellow who was a pastor, whatever you want to call him back then, I, I don't know if he met the Bible qualifications for a pastor, but anyway, he, I told him we were an uh, an undenominational churches. Oh yes, we we are too. We we belong to the National Association of Non-Denominational Churches. So there's a there isn't a denomination of undenominational churches at the very least, you know, much less anything else. So uh, I just want to make that clear that we're not taking the position here on this show 
that pretty much anything you want to believe and practice, as long as you call yourself a Christian, is fine by God. Uh, we believe the only way to know if you're if you're in good standing with the Lord and you're pleasing him is to look into the scriptures and the scriptures are clear about many things. And we ought to follow those as best we can. We're going to be held accountable to that. So, yes, there are standards. Uh, and But to today it's more popular to not have a standard to kind of be to accept whatever anybody is that wants to come along. Well, now, you're welcome to come here, whether you agree with us or not, obviously. We've had gay people attend this church and so forth. It's just that to be accepted as a member, you're going to have to meet the requirements of the scriptures to be a Christian Well, I, I'd have as to a say member. I'd or have if to you're say, immoral, you, you, we're not going to accept you here yeah, I, if you're I, living an immoral lifestyle. I'd have to say, Mike, that we do have a standard. It's the scripture. Exactly. Not, 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 but not some thing that we've written out. Right. It's the scripture. It's, right. what, it's, it's God's inspired word. John 12:48. at the end of that verse, Jesus said, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Talking about everyone, our people that basically wouldn't receive him in particular, but we are all going to be judged by the word that he spoke in the last day. And so the word that he spoke is revealed in the New Testament. God's word is revealed in the Old Testament, and parts of it apply to us today. As a matter of fact, we've got a question about that that came in. Yes, we we, and we can probably get to that. that if you want to. Anytime you're ready, Gary. Yeah, but, I'd just uh, begin to say, I forget exactly how it was worded, Mike. Let me, well, let me read that. We let me read the text that we okay. got here. Oh, wait, a minute. we got we got two different callers have come. I didn't oh, hear okay. this come okay. through here. Okay. I'm sorry, fellas. Uh, let's. We have Ken and Jerry on the line, so uh, uh, I don't know which one called in first. But I guess uh, we'll we'll go to Ken first since he's listed first. Ken, are you there? Yeah, Mike. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. And Gary, I'm glad you're feeling better. It's good to be back. I'll tell you. Um, I got a couple of scriptures for you. Okay. And, uh, before I get to them, I want to uh, point out a couple things in the New Testament. Okay. Um. First, the cursing of the fig tree. Um, do you think that the disciples were surprised that the fig tree had faded away after uh, Jesus cursed it? Oh, well, now I'm trying to remember the text exactly if there's a comment in the text about that, but I believe they were shocked. I don't know. What about you? Sorry, well, I I okay, well, the question was, do you think the disciples were surprised when the fig tree just faded away after Jesus okay. put a curse and on after it? He, after he condemned it. Yeah, and the other, the other one is, when Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times before the cock crows, do you think Peter would believe them? Do I think Peter believed him uh no i don't i mean he wouldn't say no i don't believe you call you a liar but i just don't think in his mind he could picture that happening at all i don't know that, that but i don't know if i have any reason to say that, that would from be the my scripture. thought he he wouldn't have turned to jesus and say no that's not correct but he he would have i think within his mind questioned you know i, I don't see how that can be I, basically that would be my approach to it what do you think? So the, the point I'm trying to make here is if God or Jesus says something's going to happen, you can count on it. Okay? And that's kind of what I'm getting at here. I, so let me give you my scriptures here. Uh, Exodus 24, 3-7, and verse 12. And then uh, I'll give you one other one later. But let's talk about those first. All right. You want to go to you want to go to Exodus then first? Exodus twenty four, what was the verse? Three. Uh three through seven uh was the verse. <clears throat> so this is Nadab and Abihu, seventy elders of Israel. And God said, Moses shall come alone to near the Lord, verse two. They shall not come near, nor shall the people go up to him. So Moses told the people all the words of the Lord of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in the basin, half the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they, all, and they said, all the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Okay. That was the verse you have in mind. Now, verse 12. Yeah. Those are the words. Yeah. Yeah. Then the so, Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you the table of tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. Yeah, that's verse 12. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, this thing is in verse 3 and in verse 7, the people say, I do. But we will do all that you have mm-hmm. said. This indicates this is a marriage covenant. Uh, the word, now, in verse 3, it says, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. The, the word there is davar, which means spoken words or sayings. So all the words which the Lord had said we will do, all the sayings are the spoken word we will do. Now, when you go to verse 12, the word commandment is a different Hebrew word. It's mitzvot. And it means commandment. So what we have here is we have the spoken word being changed to the written word when they become the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I hadn't thought about that before, but I can see that. Okay. I'm not sure what difference okay. it makes. Mitch vote is not just the Ten Commandments. For instance, if uh, God commands you to bless the poor, and that's called a misvote. So that's that's a requirement. But these are requirements of a contract. So if you don't do these things, you're breaking the contract. Yeah, covenant or contract. That's right. Well, it does say, I will give you the tablets of stone and the law and commandments, which I have written. So... Unless you're taking tablets of stone, law, and commandments as being a description of the same thing, the Ten Commandments, as it were, then it's obvious he's using the word and here as a as a conjunction to add on to something to in addition to. So that that makes sense that he's got it's more than just the Ten Commandments he's giving them here. It is all the commandments and the law that he has written. And that that forms the covenant that God has made with Israel, the covenant. Okay. Now, is uh, that right? Is that what you think? Yeah. If you want okay. reference here, the bar is number 1697 in Strong's Concordance. It says it means spoken words the same. And in Strong's Concordance, commandments or mitzvot is 4687. Right. I just looked those up. Yeah. yeah. The other scripture I want to go to is Jeremiah 31. Why did I just know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> Gary apparently had guessed that. <laughs> yeah, Gary's got me figured out now. Uh, <laughs> all right, go ahead. That's good, Gary. Uh, now I know you're listening. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently he's listening. Huh? He, he, he likes the same kind of verses you do, apparently. Yeah. Go ahead. We've talked about this verse several times. He and I have, and then on the show, I think, a different for in different contexts. Go ahead. Okay. So this is going to reinforce what I just said a little while ago. So Jeremiah 31. We're going to start in verse 31 and read to 34. We got it yet? Hold on a sec. 31 through 44. No, 34. 34. All right. Uh, It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. That's what we just read about, right? My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Okay, go ahead. Ken, what do you want to say about that? Okay, so this confirms this is a this is a marriage covenant. It was the husband. God is a husband unto them. Okay, so when you well, it it is a it is a the 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 type the marriage is typological of this covenant that's here. It's it's, it's a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't and marriage this, itself, and, the way you know, we think of it. This new, this new covenant is referring to what? In the New Testament. Well, I think so. I think it's. I think this is what the book of Hebrews says very explicitly. Hebrews 8. Yeah, so when, yeah, that, that, this is the verse that's quoted. Communion. I'm sorry, what was that? When did this start? Jesus took the wine and said, this is the new covenant. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I, it's, I, Hebrews is more, I, I, don't, I don't know how specific we can get to when it started. I don't know that it started at the Last Supper. He's telling them to, he's telling them at the Last Supper to do something in the future. I mean, he's giving them a future uh, significant uh, event because the, the t- uh, covenant cannot be in place, it says in the book of Hebrews, until the death of the testator. So a testament cannot be enforced until Jesus has been, has been killed, and he was obviously alive at the Last Supper. But I think that's looking at it in too, in too detailed of a way in keeping the time of it. He's speaking of the fact that, and then there was perhaps a period of time during the time of the New Testament, the Apostle alive, where one covenant was fading away and the other one was coming in, in some figures. But the death of Christ was the significant event. And then he was and he was not seated on David's throne until his resurrection, according to Acts two. So there's this whole I mean, sequence of events that are occurring there that all bring about this sea change from for the Jews from the law of Moses to the new covenant. Aspects of that change were, were being second, revealed yeah. even by Paul throughout the letters. Aspect of that change in that covenant kept coming. Well, he was trying to more, show more the Jews detail, that it was details of it. Right. He was trying to show the Jews that it was over, even though their whole society was built on this. What were you trying to point out by this, Ken? Okay. Uh, I don't look at the Ten Commandments as rules. I look at them not just rules. I mean, they, they are that. But not just rules. Prophecy. Okay. They're prophecy. It says... I, you shall not commit adultery. He's saying, there's going to be a time under the new covenant where you won't do these things. And you'll have the power to not do it. Well, there, there is an aspect my, of this. This is my weird idea. So, I mean, All right. Well, I can see that aspect of it. See, I think that's the point people miss the difference between the old and new covenants. Uh, There was forgiveness of sins in both. One was full and complete because Christ's blood had already been shed. The other was was forgiveness contingent upon Christ's blood being shed in the future. But it was as good as shed because God said it was going to happen. The significant part to me about it is verse 34 of of, Hebrews. of this of Jeremiah 31, which says, "No more shall each man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them." Says the Lord. Now, I think that's referring to the fact that under the law of Moses, you were born 
a, a Jew under the and you were part of the covenant of Israel when you were circumcised and you were only eight days old. And so therefore you had to be taught the law because you weren't born with the law. You were taught the law. Later on, each man shall teach his brother, know the Lord under the new covenant. You can't even be a part of the covenant until you know the Lord or until you uh, voluntarily agree to the aspects of the covenant. That wasn't true for the Jews. Well, it changed the nature of the kingdom right here is a change. It's a spiritual in, kingdom, in, not a, a physical spirit. kingdom. This is what was missed by the Jews when he came right here in verse 33 that precedes their verse 34. It says, and I will write it on their hearts and they will be my God. He just changed the nature of the right. He was trying right to make there. a contrast between st- hearts and st- hearts and a piece of stone, meaning that it right. was going to be to be a Christian. You have to have internalized God's commandments and and desire to be a Christian, and it's something not something that you're born with. Now, so many Christian denominations have this, I think, all wrong, in that you are uh, baptized when you're a baby and you're born a Christian, at, in their view, and so forth and so on. But that's that. This verse here teaches against that per, that idea because in order to be a Christian you have to have it has to be something that you have a personally acknowledged and desire to be a part of and that's that's different than it used to be and it's an internal covenant that I make with God not one based on external symbols like uh, the temple and the ark of the covenant and all that it's internal and there are no longer land boundaries yes it's wherever these people are Right. No ethnic boundaries, no no, ethnic gen- boundaries. no genetic boundaries, and certainly no land boundaries. Now, that's where I would take some of this, Ken, to say that that's the difference between the covenant, the new covenant, the second covenant that does not fade away, and the first one, which was fading away at the time the book of Hebrews was written. And that's what's missed about Christianity. People keep trying to make it a physical thing based upon an and I, you may disagree with this, on the land of Israel and being a Jew and, and all kinds of things like that, being a physical, physically a Jew. And it's not that at all. I mean, even Jesus in a different context explained to, to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Else would my servants fight because it was an internal kingdom. And that's why he even said in, I think it's Luke 11, about verse 14 or so, that you say, lo, here's the kingdom, no, there's the kingdom. He says, no, the kingdom of God is within you. The rule of God has to rule in your heart, not because some government makes a law that makes it that way. Now, he continues to speak metaphorically, and it's particularly in the Old Testament, in terms of a land, but that land now lies in the heart. Yes, and, and that's, the, that's the fallacy of some of this talk that we hear today. There's a lot of confusion about this. This talk about a Christian nation. Do I believe that the United States was founded upon Christian principles that are found in the scriptures? Yes, I do. Uh, and I believe that our founding fathers, whether they were overt practicing Christians or whether they would call them deists, I believe they had imbibed and drank of the principles of, of equality and the nature of man and the nature of rights from the scriptures. And in that sense, it certainly isn't a Muslim nation or a Buddhist nation or a secular nation. On the other hand, do I think that what should happen is that the the law of the Bible and the commandments of the Bible should become the secular law enforced by the courts of the United States? And I just don't, I don't think that's what the scriptures have in mind at all. It isn't about a physical nation on the earth keeping the law of God per se as a law. The nation of Israel demonstrated that that wasn't possible. It doesn't work because people aren't going to do it, and we can see that already. So there are two ways to understand the idea, are we a Christian nation? One is, should we enforce the laws of the Bible on everybody with legal penalties? And the other one is, are we a nation that originally was founded upon principles found in the Bible? And one I would say yes to, the other I say no to, uh, personally. Um, But in any event... But would this be a better place to live if... In our hearts, we followed the law of Christ. Well, in our hearts, yes. Um, Because what happens in our hearts is reflected in what we do. Right. Anyway, um, Ken, you're probably going somewhere else different with this. So where were you trying to go with this, or what do you want to say about it? You you kind of brought it up, so I'll I'll go there. Um, Look at 
uh, Jeremiah 32, starting in verse 37 and going to 42. 32, 32, 37? Yeah. Behold, I will gather them out of all. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath, and I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them to make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so they will not depart from me. Because by definition, those people that are part of that covenant have never broken it or will not break it. But he says he's going to plant them in this land and with all my heart and with all my soul and so forth, I will assuredly plant them in. But I don't don't see that as being a physical land. What, what are, well, that's the question about this prophecy. Is this a, spiritual prophecy of the kingdom of God, or is this simply uh, is this simply a re- reference to the first bringing back, the first restoration after the Babylonian captivity? What do you want, what do you think about that, Ken? What do you get, what do you get from those? Yeah, I mean, did, you read, did you read 41 and 42? Uh, well, I didn't read 42. I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will surely plant them in this land with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought this, all this great calamity on this people, so will I bring on them all the good that I have promised them. Okay. Now, what do you say? What do you think that means? Okay. So, you know, I, I guess the question is, what do you think about, you know, the scripture that says all Israel shall be saved. Because the thing about it is uh, um, the Bible says, I think it's in Romans, um, a Jew is one who is one in rebellion of the heart. Well, yes, that that's um, um, Romans two, uh, verse twenty eight. Let, let me check that here. I've um, I was looking at something else, and um, I'm not prepared to quote that real quickly. Ro- Ro- that's Romans chapter two, I think. My mind is on three different things right now. Ken, give me just a second. Um, Romans okay, 2. it's Romans two twenty eight. I think that's what I said, isn't it? Uh, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. Now, of course, I think partly, Ken, he's making a play. And by the way, Jerry's on the line, so I'm going to have to wrap this up here. But, but they uh, – He's making a play on the word Jew, which means praised, and he's also talking about being a Jew nationally or ethnically. It isn't outwardly because you have the physical characteristics of a Jew or you've been circumcised. But he says today, now, and now since Christ has come, being a Jew is one thing of the heart where it's a person who's following God's covenant and has been circumcised. New covenant. Huh? Yeah. The new covenant. Okay. Yes, and in fact, he says he says in Colossians chapter two that the new circumcision, not made with hands, is being is baptism, which is faith in the operation of God, and, and that's in Colossians two twenty four, and I think that's what he's saying here. And so he, you're a Jew who's one inwardly. So I've said I meant to say it a minute ago, and I I say this I, I'm a Jew. I think according to the scriptures, me as a Christian, as a Gentile physically, but as a Christian. Following the new covenant, I am a Jew. I am the one who who is serving God. Pray. I, that's what that's what some of these Old Testament prophecies were speaking of, that God would bless all nations through Christ. And I'm I'm in one of those nations He decided to bless through Christ. And that circumcision is one that's inward in the heart, and out, and, and baptism is the sign of that covenant that's been made. So in any event. 
Um, I, I take those prophecies from Jeremiah there. A lot of that, because of the reference in Hebrews chapter 8, to be a reference not just to the restoration of Israel after the Babylonian captivity, but to the fulfillment, the true fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of those in the kingdom of Christ that exists today. That's yeah. how I would view that. I don't know about Gary or you, but um, in general, generally speaking. Well, I, <clears throat> let's go back to Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4, Mike. The same thing we're saying here, sons and heirs through Christ. We are basically, the Christian is the new covenant Jew. Yes, and, th and that's not to put down to the physical Jews today. There's no, should be no antagonism it per does, se it because really doesn't of that. matter what your ethnic background no, those is. No, it doesn't matter anymore. It's the Christian aspect of that. It's the relationship with Christ that makes you the part of that new covenant. Exactly. Exactly. So now, now you now you go into somewhere that I, I want to talk about, but I'll have to do it another day. Well, I, I think you'll have, we need you probably have to call back because we have another call on the line. I appreciate it, Ken. We'll try to pick this up a little bit later on. Well, just warn me what the subject is. The fig tree. The fig tree. Oh, we never got back to the fig okay. tree. Okay. All right. I'll have to think about that fig tree. I had fig jam the other day, so I, you know, <laughs> I'm appreciative of fig trees right now. All right, Ken, we'll talk with you soon. I appreciate you calling in. Call back. Uh, Jerry, are you still there? Hello? Yeah, Jerry, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Good morning. Uh, I, I was in a severe industrial accident in the early 70s in a, a stamping plant, a Ford plant. And uh, so I call into your program for my sanity, you know, so... I don't go nuts, you know. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Now, I, I don't know. I, I know if I, I should question the wisdom of the choice of talking to me and Gary as a sanity inducer, to to, but to try to hold on to your sanity. My wife might, uh, you know, and other friends might dispute that. But go ahead, Jerry. Thank you for calling. And I, are you there, Mike? I am. I'm having a little trouble hearing you, but go ahead. Yeah, I was wondering about the book of Estro, who Estro was uh, relative to the. Uh, a Semitic people coming out of the desert and into Mesopotamia, which is present to Iraq. And the word Mesopotamia means between two rivers. And would be a good guess uh, to guess that they were talking about the Congress and Euphrates. Uh, but my question is about who, who was Esther. And I'd like to listen off L. Mike, if that'll be okay. Okay. Sure. Well, that's great. Yes, you are correct that the that meso meaning middle, potamia meaning waters, that area which is now present day Iran, Iraq area, is an old the old countries of Assyria and Babylon back in Bible times. Uh, that that is Mesopotamia, the area between the rivers. And that is where the city Ur of the Chaldees was. Chaldea is another name for Babylonia, an ancient name. And so Abraham's family, Terah and Nahor and his brother Haran, all those folks were living in Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia when God came and called them. Apparently this calling came in a couple of steps. First to leave Ur and go to a land I'll show you. And they got to a, a place partway in between, which they named Haran or Haran, which is after the the brother that died and then from there god called him on down south to what we now call israel or palestine which was an area controlled by a different people descendants of ham not descendants of shem abraham's descendants in mesopotamia were all descendants of shem one of noah's sons the people living in Canaan at that time were descendants of Ham. They were the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archivites, and all those people. All those Vites, as they say. Uh, different, <laughs> different Ites and Vites living there. In any, anyway, um, that's who was there then, and God basically said, I'm going to give you this land, Abraham, you and your descendants. Now, it took about 430-some years from the time of Abraham for his descendants to eventually come back from Egypt and drive the 
those people out of the land for the most part and take it over, and it became what's now Israel. So these descendants of Shem eventually displaced most of the descendants of Canaan or Ham that were living in that land. So uh, now well, the Bible makes reference both in, in the speech of Stephen and in um, now the other references escaping me without looking it up. Uh, uh, yeah, but by the time we get to Esther, we're, we're way further down the timeline. Yeah, I haven't even got to... <clears throat> I haven't even got there yet. Yeah, the major characters, uh, Esther and Mordecai, basically are descendants, are, are the Jews. Basically, they're ethnically, they are Abraham's seed. Um, exactly what uh, Azure House or the kings of that area and the people that were in that area were probably a little bit different by that time, but basically those two were Seeds of right. children of Abraham. In the in in Joshua, uh, Joshua makes reference to the fact of the people and tells them to choose who you're going to serve. And Moses does the same thing in Deuteronomy 28. You can either serve the gods that your fathers served beyond the river, meaning back in Mesopotamia, before they came to the where we are, they were then. Or you can serve the gods of the land that you're about to go into, the gods of the Canaanites. Or you can serve Jehovah. And that's when he says, choose you this day whom you will serve, Joshua does. But as for me and my house, we will serve Jehovah. So there's there's the choice that's to be made. And so, yes, there were different gods they were serving. Now, when you come to the time of Esther, he promised him, if you serve these other gods, I'm going to drive you out of this land. And he did. And he did drive them out. And that's where you find them in the time of Esther, living under the rule of the Persians that already passed from the Babylonians to the Persians. And toward the end of their, that they were now living in Persia. Esther was a servant girl of Xerxes, a Persian ruler. And um, he, she had been elevated to being, to taking the place of Queen Vashti because she was not only beautiful, but also a, a wise woman and one who uh, respected Xerxes, Darius. And she was so, intelligent. She intelligent. Was. And so she's put in this position as the king's wife, as it were. But now the Jews were in this land and couple of the couple of the I'm telling this story very briefly without having to read it all. But it's all told in the book of Esther, which is one of the more interesting books in the Old Testament because it focuses on a specific period of time and circumstance when the Jews were not in Israel, they were in a foreign land and, and they were really a, a bunch of strangers and they were, they were in a way they were alike. And the reason the book of Esther has been popular in the, in the last few centuries among the Jews is because it depicts a time in which the Jews are scattered in a foreign land. They do not control it. There is no King for them. They are, a minority people, often hated and pushed around by the native people of the land, and yet God in his providence blesses them. And he does it through his providence, not through miraculous events. Yes, and this is the case here. So the book of Esther, Jerry, is a book about the providence of God. I think that's how modern rabbis would view it, I th and I think that they're correct about that part. It is about the providence of God. And the idea, though, that God is somehow watching over Israel today as a special group of people, I, you know, I have my doubts about that particular thing. But, but uh, God certainly isn't, isn't, um, hasn't destroyed Israel except as a nation. But they were saved by this young woman, Esther, and uh, her faithfulness to God. Her uncle, uh, Mordecai, was a wise man was also part of the king's court. There was a, there was a, a, a um, Persian named Haman who tried to plot against the Jews to have them all killed. And uh, the orders were already signed, and the king had signed them foolishly without realizing what he was doing. And so God, Mordecai comes to, let me look it up, because it's a great verse. Uh, they, they, people copy about a lot. People... Um, who knows if you've come to the kingdom for a moment. Yes, it's Jeremiah. I mean, it's um, Ezra 4.14, not Ezra, Esther 4.14, I believe it is. 
right about that. Anyway, so Mordecai comes to her in private because she doesn't want to do anything. She's afraid she's going to she's afraid she's going to uh, get him so angry that he's going to kill her, kill all the Jews anyway, because you didn't just speak to these kings any way you wanted to back then. Say what you wanted to. Um, you, had to be you didn't run around saying, let's go, Brandon, to the king yeah, of Persia. Yeah. Okay, You had to be invited so, into his presence. Yes. You didn't just go to the king. No, and if you went to his presence without being invited, you risked death. You risked death, and that's what she had to figure out a way, and she did, to do that. Uh, John just texted in uh, about the getting everyone, throwing a party and getting everyone drunk so she could approach the king. I'm not, I'm not sure that required everyone to get drunk, but he, she, Mordecai eventually tells her, though, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. So you, you can sit back. You're protected in the palace, you think. All the other Jews will be put to death. That's what the order said, to put them all to death. And you think you're going to get away with it because you're in the palace. He says, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So there it is. Such I have a sermon I preached years ago. Such a time as this. It's even more apropos today than when I preached it 25 years ago or 30 years ago. But this is the time when we need to speak out for what's right and to speak to the king about what's right. That's, pray that's, that God that's Esther 414. Yes, 414. And so Esther then courageously works it around in a very, once again, in a wise and judicious manner. Not She didn't go and flip the king the bird, you know, and all these kind of things. So she'd get her way and all that. And she and did got, it within the customs and within the, within customs, the customs of those people, procedures of her time and her place. And God blessed the whole thing. And they were <clears throat> Israel was Israel was spared. And, and Haman was hung on the gallows he had made for Mordecai. There's the end of the providence. We can. Uh, well, he made a gallows to hang this Jew that he hated on. Haman did, and then eventually he was hung on those gallows. So, um, but I think it's interesting uh, that part of the lesson for this book is is Esther worked within the customs and the tenets of her time to do this. She didn't basically call on the customs of the Jews. She worked within the framework of the kings of Persia. Right. So eventually, the, eventually now the Jews were restored from the from captivity back to the land. But it's a great story, and I believe it is a story about the providence of God. <clears throat> I was thinking this morning, Gary, how much of the way that I do things, unfortunately, is probably a reflection of my uh, belief in the providence of God in a way that I've never really verbalized in such many ways because um, and yet I pray about this all the time that God would give me opportunities in speaking with people and with my friends and neighbors to to uh, let the gospel light shine in for them and for me give me opportunities to speak and yet sometimes then you don't even know to, Notice it when it happens. Well, that's that. I do believe in God's providence, and we don't, we can't figure it all out. The older I get, the more I realize, uh, cannot plan it, cannot figure it all out. It's not. That's possible. that's what I've recognized with age, Mike. Is is I, I don't pray for opportunities. I pray that I recognize the opportunities it gives me. Exactly, and they're there. And we 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 can even pray for them, but we have to often pray for I, the recognition of the, and then to to have the wisdom to know what to do when the opportunity does arise. Right. What basically, to say and what to my, do. my big problem is I don't recognize the opportunity until it's passed. Right. And then you can't do anything. About you know, it. I, I don't like to tell the stories today, maybe another time, but I think I did tell them in a Bible class of the night without even realizing it. But a couple of things happened just this past week that were very provident and, and really since then, two or three things providential to this but, um, yes, we should have confidence that in the end, God will, in spite of my disobedience, other people's disobedience, wickedness of our own nation and its leaders, um, God will work things out. It won't always please us. It may bring trouble to us as individuals. By that's why I don't mean that God will work it out so nothing bad ever happens to you. I don't believe that at all. 
but I believe he will work it out so that what is good will happen over time and so that he can save the people that that need to be saved. Not everybody is going to be saved because people will not respond, but God will figure out a way to weed out those who do not want to be saved, who want to do their own thing, want to do what they want to do from those who do, those who want to change, those who want to do better. He will weed them out, and his word has the power to do that, and we don't always get to choose. That That's the problem I have with modern, quote-unquote, Christian leadership, Gary, is they want to force the issue all the time. They, they want to make sure that if, that if they have the right light show up and have the right intensity of lasers and strobes, the right amount of fog, that somehow that's going to save people that are lost. We just got to get the right amount of fog and the right decibels and the right mix in our, from our audio mixers into the microphones, and then the gospel will be able to save people. Well, this is the modern, and if we just have the right kind of leadership model, we'll save people. Uh, that's all garbage. Okay, that's that's not how people are saved. God designed his gospel, his word to save the people that he wants. It saves the kind of people God is looking for. And that's the hardest lesson I had. You cannot offer anything to people for salvation but God's word. Yeah, that's all and, you can offer. And you can, you've got to get it so that you've got to have the right understanding of things. And there is a way to present things. There's a way to talk to people. But sometimes even when we talk people wrongly. There was a fellow years ago, Gary, whose wife had become a Christian friend of mine. He was still drinking a lot. He knew what to do, I think. But he was drinking all the time. I'd gone and got him out of a few bars and helped his wife had called me to come help her. And she had grown up as an atheist. And the last time she said, come help me, I went down there and we got him home. Big old guy. And I, he's sitting there all hungover, hang, hang dog in his living room. They were poor. Well, of course, they were poor. Yeah. Okay. And I just went after him. I just said, you know, you, you are a disgrace <laughs> to, <laughs> to this woman. You have so much power and capability. And this is disgraceful. You know better. This is disgraceful the way you're at. And I just went after him. All the while realizing that this is the completely wrong way to approach a person with an alcohol problem. You know, everything I'd have read and studied from the experts, even the Christian experts, this is the wrong way that you do this. But I did it anyway because I was angry with him. Next day he calls me up. He says, Mike, he says, I realize what you said last night, how wrong I am. I want to be baptized. i got to start my life over again. And I need you to help me. And I went over there and baptized this man. He's never had a drink from that day forward. And he, he turned out, eventually he began to preach the gospel and help people. And uh, I did everything wrong. You see what I'm saying? But, that's exactly but the word the came into his heart. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's the, the thing. And but so again, that was it. But then again, that's probably exception, not the rule. <laughs> it is. I'm not saying that, but I'm I'm using it to show you that, not you, but I'm using it to say that that sometimes we have to do what we think is right to do at the time, and, and even if it's wrong, God can still use it. So, in any event, Esther is a great book, and I'm, I'm I, I don't connect it with um, part of what Jerry was saying. Now I've forgotten exactly what he did say. I was thinking at the time. There's not a connection between uh, a couple of things Jerry said there, but it is a great book about Providence. And it's a wonderful time frame, story. <clears throat> time frame for this book's probably somewhere between what 550 and 350 yes. BC. Yeah, yeah, probably somewhere in that range. It's probably closer to the to the 550 in my estimation, but maybe maybe not. I'll well, have the to, Greeks didn't look the up. Greeks didn't come until I think a little after 350. Yeah, it could be that late. It could it, be it, that it late. It would be yes. before the Greeks. That's all I can say for sure. But um, and this is this is the position we all sometimes find ourselves though in, even as Christians to tr tr transpose this story, that we don't have uh, the political power that you think you do, or anything else. You're strangers in a strange land as Christians. It's getting more so all the time. And you have to work. And within you have that to work within that and be and be a person that even the king can respect to a certain degree.
And yet you have to stand up for what's right. Can't just do do whatever. Esther had to take right. the risk, no matter what. And she and she had to stand up and say, "This is what's right to do." And she she did that. And God can God can bless those efforts more than you can figure out. You can't figure out how ahead of time how that's going to happen, but God can bless those efforts. Will He always save every person who's persecuted? And the answer is no. He will not. But he can, and we have well, to have the same attitude as we mentioned before of Daniel's three friends. Yeah. Be it known unto thee, O king. We, we, we don't will, know whether he will or not. We don't, our God can deliver us, and we don't know if he will, but he can, And we, but yet we will not bow down to your image, your uh, king. So that, that's the attitude that I try to have. I hope God gives me the courage and the time really comes. to. But that, uh, but that, that took courage, standing there in front of that furnace. That basically takes courage. Sure. And it takes faith in God. Yeah. Uh, the um, But that's that I believe that's what his word produces when we study it. It, it Mike, I guess I confess that's one of the reasons why the prophets are such a, an appeal to me is the truthfulness and the power of God is reflected in the prophets, what they said and what happened. Yes. But but and but trying to decipher particular events. There's lots of people that are all upset about the this invasion of Ukraine as if it's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Uh, I'm no. not seeing that, but I, I certainly think God is. But I do know that there are faithful Christians in Ukraine that are being affected by this because I have personal friends who did work over there and baptized lots of people in, in Ukraine and worked with those people back when they first became independent from the Soviet Union. So uh, we need to pray for for those folks today. Now, John texts in this story of Esther was recycled in the story about John the Baptist head being brought in on a platter. Well, I, I can see the parallel. It was a party. The king was there. And yet the outcome is very different. Now, I don't yeah. know about the recycled part. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the story was. I don't know if he's saying that the um, the okay. gospel writers just kind of made up a story that was like Esther. In this case, though, rather than God protecting John the Baptist, they went in the cell and killed him and brought his head out. Yeah. Uh, he, nobody, and that's what I meant about providence. You can say, well, he's John the Baptist. Surely God's going to protect him. Well, he didn't. Not Not in the way that you think he should protect him. He chopped off his head right there, and that was it. And John was done. Well, see, you know, what do you mean by recycle? That's that. Well, that's the question I had, and and I yeah. so I'm not disputing it. Maybe you know, I, I could say we're recycling history right in front of us now. I, you and I talked this morning. We're living in a time that parallels 1937 to 1939. Well, as far as Europe is right there, yeah. yes, so it's, it's, exactly it's, the same rationale was given by Adolf Hitler to invade exactly uh, uh, Sudetenland, Austria, and, and Poland, and, and Poland, all that that's being and, given and, by. And we're doing Putin. The, same, the same reaction. People basically. are falling for it the same way, and you know. Yeah, so. we've just got Putin for Hitler, and we've got uh, China for Japan. Right. And and they're they're coming together just like Hitler and right. Japan came together. Yes. Uh, so that might be a form of recycling. That's just looking at something in that. Well, way. well, who was it that said this? History may not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. Right. Okay. I forgot who it was that said that. Now we're in a big rhyme. <laughs> it's right a rhyme. Now. We're in a big rhyme repeating. right now. But yeah. uh, but basically, if you're saying that this was something that was pulled from a different time and doesn't reflect actual events, yeah, I don't I, mean I, I don't that's what I. Yeah, I, I don't think I agree with that. And I, I think he well, he says drunk king and half the kingdom. Yes, uh, the drunken king and uh, in being influenced and so forth in the parties and. Yeah, so why the, that's why the Bible refers to kings and wine. Wine is not for kings and so forth, and wine is a mocker in the book of Proverbs because too many, you know, what, so we only got a couple minutes left. Years ago. Oh, yeah, we're out of time. We're right out of time. Now. Oh, we are. Oh, my goodness. Ta ta time time, time. I've got to wrap this up. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. We're going to have to get to the text message next week. Okay. Well, I appreciate everybody listening today. We want to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. 
We are just Christians.com. And I was going to tell a really interesting story too, Gary. That's out of way too. <laughs> but also come and be with us today. 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard is where we are. The corner of, of California and Savona on the Southwest corner there. And, and we'd love to have you. We're not going to ask you for money. It's a church of people trying to follow just the Bible. And we'd love to have you visit. 2196 Southwest Savona. Come and be and, and pr- tune in again next week. And may God bless. We'll you. look at our text messages. Yes. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie.